Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Attenzione, attenzione. Now, some of you, of course, may well realise that this is, of course, Italian for Achtung, Achtung, our trusty catchphrase. And that this isn't the first time we've used the language to open our show. But there's a good reason for that, which I'll explain in a moment. So, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Now, James and I have ventured to the National Army Museum in Chelsea, London's fashionable Chelsea, <laughs> which means we fought our way across London from the Imperial War Museum for the mean streets of Lambeth. And let me tell you, it was hell in them streets. We're not cut out for urban warfare, James and I. We're far too genteel. Now, we have a very special guest joining us today. We're in the museum and it's open, which is why you can hear the sound of uh, gunfire and aircraft strafing our position. Um, the occasional... well, it's suddenly got a bit quiet. Well, <laughs> the it's suddenly got no, to draw attention to it. Uh, uh, but um, we, we have with us a very special guest whose grandfather served in the Second World War and whose journey through Italy has been recently explored in a television documentary on none other than BBC One. It is, of course, Gary Lineker. Welcome, Gary. Oh, thank you very much. But, uh, before we start, can I just do one thing? Yeah. Can I just go, Achtung, Achtung. Yeah. As a regular... Well, all right, you know, I quit. As someone who <laughs> listens. That's actually what I shouted when I equalised against Germany in 1990. Uh, <laughs> Did you really? No. 
I wish you had. I think it's what they did when they won their penalty shootout. Not at all. Not at all. Yes, I mean, you've had your own tussles with the Germans, haven't you? Yes, in a much friendlier form, thankfully. Yes, but then my granddad suffered. Not firing out of your mortars and machine guns. No. Right, now, so that's what we're here to talk about. So your grandfather served in in the Second World War in, in southern Italy. Yes, in Italian. He started in North Africa, then he came down, was taken to Salerno, went on the beaches. He was in the, he was in the medical corps. Uh, none of this he ever spoke about. None of it I ever knew. But um, you know the programme, Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, which I did at one point. Or is this known in the football world? Who are you? Who are, who are you? Are Same you? sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> Do you know who I am? And, um, <laughs> and um, eventually they... they found this um, story about my granddad and they did it at a, a later stage and they wanted to do it around the 75th anniversary, etc., yeah. etc. And, um, and I, I just felt privileged to be able to do it. And it was, it was a moving two-week journey following his footsteps from getting on the beach at Salerno, mm -hmm. uh, moving up north from Naples, up, right up to Monte Cassino and Rome, etc. And I knew nothing about that that part of uh, the history of the war because we all know about Dunkirk and all the other yeah. things don't we to a degree um, and to follow that journey and to be given the the privilege of doing it um, was and I have never in my life for anything possibly other than the occasional goal in football had any kind of positive feedback like <laughs> just positive right across the board yeah. I mean we all know what social media can be like and whatever you talk about someone will have a pop at you but for that it was just universally um, adored by people and it was amazing Great. So, so so not only did you your grandfather hadn't talked about this not only did you not that was a closed book but then the book that that book was inside was also closed because Indeed. you're quite right Italy is kind of mm is relegated in the in the in the story that we tell ourselves about the war in this country. But Gary, when you when you I mean when you got to Italy, I mean one of the first things you notice is yeah. just huge amounts of mountains yeah. everywhere. Well that's the that's the thing I thought because I was I asked really silly questions at times, you know, but because I'm you know, I'm I'm very much out for my comfort zone with you two and talking about war, but from um, learning from his experience, um, they landed on the beach, then they're being shot at, and, and they were called this thing called the D-Day Dodgers, where they, you yep. know, because Italy's quite nice, it's sunny, <laughs> yeah. and all that, but it was winter. And of course, Italy is incredibly mountainous on right through the middle. And they had to keep going up mountain after mountain after mountain, where the Germans were perched on the top, shooting down at them. And it was midwinter; it was freezing cold and snowy. And um, my granddad was actually in the medical corps, so it's, I can't imagine the, the scenes that he would have had to. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, what, what everyone sort of. I mean, the planning for for the Italian campaign takes place in sort of July, July and August. You know, when it's absolutely scorchio in North Africa, where Allied Forces headquarters are, yeah. and absolutely scorchio on Sicily, where they're fighting at the time. So they're just sort of thinking, well, Italy, you know, orange groves, lemon groves, olive groves, you know, what's not to like, twinkly sea, nice you know, it'll be fine. And of course, the moment they get there, it's just, there's a succession of really brutal winters in the Second World War. It's, well, it's one of those weird things. Rivers in flood. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, from, from, from this you know, mountainous terrain. It's blown bridges. Yeah. Yep. It's, I mean... It would, they went crossing, trying to cross the river there and there was a, you know, thousands killed and they said rivers were literally running red with yeah. blood and yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was yeah. unimaginable hell. So how come your grandfather was a medic? Do you, do I, that, that question was never really answered. It oh, was no. a question, obviously, I asked yeah. um, I, whether he was, um, you know, 
conscientious objector in yeah. terms of wanting to fight anyone. I don't know. Yeah. Um, whether he had certain skills or though he was a greengrocer prior to that, which was, I didn't even know that because my other side of the family, my dad and my granddad were greengrocers. Um, and he never spoke about it. And the other weird thing is, is because they got in touch with my agent, right? And my agent said, oh, this is an amazing opportunity to do this because my, my dad was, was, did the, exactly the same journey as your granddad. So he wanted to learn as much as me. And it <laughs> turns out his dad and my granddad actually were really close friends and played golf with each other all the time in Kirby Muxlow. We don't know whether they ever had the conversation that they both made the same journey during the war from Salerno to Monte Cassino. Dear God. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, Gary, is, is that everyone assumes that when you're in the war that you're going to be an infantryman or in a tank or something or a gunner. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the British Army, and certainly by 1944 when he was over there at Monte Cassino, is that actually the makeup is 43% service corps, and that includes the RAMC. Yeah. So you've got a 43% chance of ending up there. I mean, infantry is about 14%. Oh, I see. Tanks are about 8%. Yeah. You know, then you've got engineers yeah. and you've got gunners and all the rest of it. So you could. Yeah. It's probably nothing to do with being yeah. conscientious actually. It's probably just. No, probably that's where not. He ended I don't know. Up, I'm know. just wondering. And, yeah. and it's, I, spoke to, I spoke to two. Um, you know, these amazing old guys. One was 104, <laughs> and he served. He was also in the medical corps, and he said he was put in the medical corps because prior to that, he worked at Boots in a chemist. <laughs> no, just, That's the reason. And he was an un he was unbelievable character. We, we said, as long as he didn't ask if people wanted a loyalty yeah, card when they yeah. were wounded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he flew out to do it. We said, no, we'll, we'll come to you. He went... Oh, I'd love to come back. I, I, I want to come back. And he's 104 years old. That's amazing. Yeah, was, they were brilliant. The other guy was 95, and he actually walked up, um, you know, the Polish memorial thing. That, yeah, that's amazing. And he actually walked up all the steps, and yeah, God, in his mid 90s. Really Fantastic people. And you got up to the top, didn't you? At 5, 0.593. Yeah, with yep. the cross got at the top. Got up to the there. cross. Yeah, it, it, so right that's the, the key. Extraordinary. To, that's the key yeah. to understanding Monte Cassino. And you look down, you think, how, how did how did they do it? Yeah. Well, I looked down, think, how did I get up these stairs? I know. I, 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 was, I was a bit sluggish compared <laughs> with my, my friend. But what, when, you, when you go to a place like that um, and it's, it's someone you, you're related to or someone you know, you do, you do feel differently about it. You do, you do relate to mm. it in a, dif a different way, don't you? I you think, do, you do. I didn't, prior to doing it, I didn't know how I would react, how I'd feel. You know, I did a bit of the training that he would have done for the medical corps at the start of it, and that was just like a bit of fun. Yeah, but then when you get there and you start to see, actually, we went on a boat and we got on on the on the beach and did the did yep. exactly yeah. what they did, uh, but it was August, you know, and the sun was shining. Yeah. There were people lying on the beach sunbathing, yeah. Yeah. And, and you had to use your imagination a little bit. But you know, I was I was in the company of experts, and they said, well, they've been shelled, they've been fired out here. They come on the beach. Your granddad, we can tell from the um, the the service book that exactly where he was at his specific time and he was yep. one of the first people his call one of the first people on the beach uh, in Salerno and stuff like that and I, learning that stuff as I was going along I became more and more in, intrigued more fascinated and and to, to know what they went through and the decisions they would have had to have mm. made you know there's a, there's a guy shot in the leg there's another one who's dying you've yep. got to leave one you've got to save one all those sorts of terrible things. responsibility on a young man isn't it yeah. I mean you just you literally just can't believe it no. but going back to Monte Cassino I mean I remember when I first went there I remember arriving in the town at kind of dusk <laughs> and, and, and it was still just enough light and I remember getting out and looking up and just going 
Holy yeah. moly, that is so high. That's so imposing. How do you ever get up there? I know. It's extraordinary. And it wasn't just Monte Cristo. There were other mountains on the way yeah, to of that. Of course, yeah. It took weeks, in fact, months to, mm. to kind of conquer and win over. And, and you can I, see why when well, you're there. Well, I used to you? ask them, I said, well, why, why, why did we keep going up the mountains? Why didn't we just go round uh, on the bottom where they've got these nice motorways? And, um, and you had and that they, explained. Well, and, yes, obviously. <laughs> yes. But Not I, enough ships. But, not enough yeah, shipping. No, I mean, exactly. And the fact that that's, you know, all the Germans had all their stuff yeah. on those bottom bits and they were kind of forced to, they had to kind of conquer the top of the hills, which it just seems like madness, but somehow they managed to do it. Well, Kesselring, the German commander, is always convinced that the Allies are going to outflank because, you know, he's just come from Sicily and, you know, he's seen this amphibious invasion of 160,000 people on day one. So he's thinking, well, you know, what's the problem? Why, why, aren't, why on earth aren't the Allies outflanking us, which is the obvious thing to do. And obviously they then do that at Anzio. Yeah. But the main reason is because D-Day has got to take priority over, over here yeah. in Europe. And so a lot of the shipping has to go over there. And also the operations in the Pacific require vast amounts of shipping mm. because of course, you know, it's all island hopping. So the demands mm. on shipping, they just literally can't make these landing yeah. craft and these landing shifts quick enough. I mean, in my game, if, if it's crowded down the middle, you get the ball out wide. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you do, don't you well, go around they and cross did it think in. about that. I mean, we've yeah. talked about Tuka before. He was a commander of this Indian division and his idea was to just completely bypass the actual Monte Cassino massive of the monastery mm. on the end and 593 and all the rest of it where the Polish memorial now is and he wanted to go up Monte Cara and uh, which is that big mountain yeah. behind it really really mm. big one he said look let's just go out there and just isolate because <laughs> it's actually a, like a yeah. like a triangle the Monte, the Monte Cassino massive and he was just completely overruled by by Freiburg who was this New Zealander commander who was incredibly brave and had won a VC in the First World War, but wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Mm. Oh, and no, we're uh, going to get more. Oh, we, no, last no, time no. we've we, done this, haven't we? Last but, time but, we had a go at Freiburg, we got all sorts of uh, angry emails. Very brave, from New very brave, lovely very bloke. Brave, very brave. Everyone loved him. Great, <laughs> not, great to have at a dinner bright, party, but just not, not brilliant. No, no, but I'm um, very, very, very brave, man. <laughs> but a lovely bloke. Yeah. I'm not, not mentioning him. Anyway, so it wasn't like no one thought of it. It's just that. The people yeah. who were making the decision didn't have the kind of courage of their convictions mm. to let that happen, let yeah. them try it, I think. That's but was your grandfather stretcher-bearing then? He was, he was literally... He started stretcher-bearing, then he gradually worked himself up. Um, he was a surgeon by um, the end. Um, no, I don't think he was a surgeon. <laughs> I don't think he was a surgeon at all, but it was weird. I mean, I, you know, he died when I was in my early 20s, about 20, I think I was about 23. Um, I, he, I was quite close to him. Um, it's, it, one thing I did learn, it, was, I mean, it sounds a bit it's nothing, but... He always had polo mints, and he always he always smelled of polo mints all the time. He always had a packet on him, and then I, I found in the war that that polo mints were actually a part of their little survival kit. You know, they, they was right. part yeah, of the, in the thing. So, track, yeah. so that's probably where he got it from. That's the only hint I ever had to anything remotely involved with the war. Amazing. Yeah, he never mentioned it ever, and he was lovely. He was like, it's you know, he's a really nice, charming, yep. nice golfer, sold yep. insurance, all it, and yeah. it was. What a wonderful thing to do, though, because it is a way of I connecting, I, isn't I it? I wish I'd have been able to have yeah. that conversations that latterly I learned, you know, see what you actually did go through. Whether he would have wanted that or not, I don't know. I do remember going back there in 2004, uh, and it was, one of, you know, it was obviously a big, 60th, I guess, but 60th anniversary. Um, and I remember being there with two German paratroopers, Fallschirmjäger, uh, one called uh, um, uh, Rudolf Valentino. I kid you not. Rudolf sure. Valentino. Yeah, he was called Rudolf Valentino. <laughs> and uh, 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 no, Rudolf Valentin. That's Valentin. the closest silent designer, movie star. Yeah, yeah well, also <laughs> Valentino's the silent movie star. So it was yeah. Rudolf Valentin, um, and um, and a guy called Hans Kumberg, and we were with a guy called Bill Hawkins who was in the Essex Battalion, and we were on 
just by the castle, you know, sort of a third of the way up, there's yeah. that ruined castle. Yeah. It's not so ruined now, I don't think they've restored it, haven't they? But we're all sitting there and, and we were kind of introduced and, and, and chatting and stuff. And um, they were sort of, so, so where were you in the battle then? Well, you know, I was here at the castle. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we were attacking the castle, actually. And, I, I, and, the, and Rudolph said, and I remember I just coming down this hill here and there was this, this awkward moment where they realised that they almost certainly had been firing at each other. Yeah. And then the Germans went up to Bill and gave him a big hug. And um, Bill, being English, kind of sort of slightly bristled at this, but kind of then relaxed. And it was this absolutely magic, magic mm. moment because these old former adversaries yeah. were suddenly kind of embracing and put it behind what, them. It was what, amazing. What struck yeah, me? Yeah, it was really good. What struck yeah. me about when I met the, these these two veterans, um, I think Fred and William. Yep. And was their absolute honesty about how scared they were. Mm. Which you sort of think, oh, they're pr you know what, the, the old school, like, ah, we're all right, it was yeah. a, bit, a bit stoic and all that. But they were both saying, so I was saying, it must have been frightening. They went, yes, it was frightening. <laughs> it was terrifying. And yeah. anyone that says they weren't terrified either is lying or they weren't there. And it just kind of really brought it home to me, yeah, that, yeah. that particular phrase. It would have been really awful. I mean, because yeah. it, it's scary enough when, it, when it's sunny and hot. But in those conditions, also, I mean, I remember, I remember Hans Kumberg, who was one of the Faustian at the top of the of the um, of Monte Cassino, around. He was on the other ridge from point five nine three, and him just telling me the whole time there was just this fog across the whole place. Mm. So you couldn't really see very much. It was like this green grey fog of smoke because because it, it's sort of a bit of a sort of bowl in the little valleys yeah. between the two high points, and it just got stuck there. Yeah. So, you, you know, you go on patrol and stuff at night, you just wouldn't be able to see anything. And they were all absolutely terrified of the Gurkhas as well. Absolutely terrified really? of them. Well, Coming off in the middle of the night and chopping, <laughs> yeah, terrified of the chopping the heads off. And now stuff. I'm got, terrified we've, of a Gherkin. We've got, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a medical kit over here. It's one of the exhibits. Because we're in the... Yeah. If you've j joined us late, although I don't know how that works on a podcast. Um, <laughs> how did you, uh, can you, can <laughs> you even join late? You can even join late. Know. Anyway, we're in the National Army Museum and we have some exhibits here. So we have, like, um, a, a, a medic's... Well, this is this some First World War stuff and some Second World War stuff. I mean, the the the, uh, the main ch the main difference I expect between the two conflicts is the the sulfonylamide, which is uh, and the penicillin, which is the big invention in the Second World War. Yeah, which really comes in in, in the Italian campaign for the first time. Kicks in and mm. and, and uh, which is an antibiotic in a powder, and the wounds you'd pour the antibiotic in the wound because um, after all you've got dirt. From the if you you know if you're shot through your battle dress, there's dirt, the mud on the battle dress, the f bits of fabric going into the wound with the bullet, and that's what that that's what that's for. You you pour the antibiotic in. And that's a major that's a major thing that your yeah. grandfather would have had that of um, course, yeah. made a massive difference in the Second World War. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at it all. It's I actually learned how to put morphine into someone, a little injection and stuff, yeah, which could be very useful at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. What, with the little capsule? Yeah, the little capsule things, yeah. That little, ding, in you go, bosh. Goodness. But uh, it's pretty basic. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of, um, it's field dressings and more field dressings and, and just a little bit, few more field dressings, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, then, of course. And then, yeah, a bit of sulfur you and know. penicillin. But I mean, it is, it's... I mean, just imagine having to do that in the heat of battle. No, running of in, trying to save people with, without a weapon of oh. your own, of course, and just a little red cross on your arm to show you that you shouldn't really be shot at. But, um, yeah, rem remarkable bravery, really, from, you know, all of them that were there. Really. It just, it's just staggering. And it, blew, it actually blew my mind a bit because I've never really 
had to think about it before. I know. Our lives are so easy and nice, aren't they? Embarrassing. Yeah, let's hope they stay that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and, uh, seeing as our lives are easy and nice, we're going to take a break now. Because we live a bone idle life <laughs> in the second we can, we decade can. of the 21st century. We'll get, see you in a minute. I'm going to get a polo. <laughs> Welcome back to We Have Ways. We're at the National Army Museum uh, with our very special guest, Mr. Gary Lineker. Thanks for joining us, Gary. It's been a, it's been a delight. Oh, good. Well, that, yeah, we, we tend to be nice to our yeah. guests, don't we? I, d- I did a little bit of um, research because I knew I'd be, frankly, quite considerably out of my depths talking about <laughs> um, history of war, et cetera, et cetera. But um, we did have an idea in Goldhanger Films quite a while ago, well, not that long ago, actually, about doing a war thing on footballers involved in, yeah. um, in war. Yeah. And um, we did some research, and we've got some f- absolutely fabulous stories, of which I've brought well, along the, four or five. Football, the war started, when did football end? It, it was basically started at the, the beginning of the season. And I think they played like one or two games. And in fact, but I think that wasn't it on a Friday, Friday when they was, issued was the ultimatum. Friday's when they invade Poland. Yeah, Saturday's Saturday. the ultimatum. Sunday morning. I think there were fixtures the on war. that Saturday. Yep. And um, and and then war obviously broke out and things stopped for a while. Basically, and lots and lots and lots of who Blackpool that were top of the league. So I think when it, when it brought. <laughs> when it broke out, but there were some remarkable stories. I mean, there's a guy called Harry Goslin who played, he was the Bolton Wanderers captain. Um, he was on a beach at Dunkirk and died trying to take the bridge in Sicily. Wow. Um, Charlie Sillett, who was John Sillett, you remember John Sillett? He was uh, manager of Coventry when, um, I think, when they won the FA Cup. Um, he capped his dad, Charlie, captain Southampton in 1938, volunteered for the Royal Navy and was sunk by a German U boat. He drowned in the Channel. Um, yeah, some, some extraordinary stories. Tom Cooper uh, played 15 times for England at right back and played uh, in the final Liverpool game before the war on that Saturday, September the 2nd. Uh, he joined the military police and was killed when his motorbike collided with a lorry. Um, got Sid Guerin. Um, he played for Arsenal and Southampton before joining the Parachute Regiment. Uh, he jumped into Arnhem as part wow. of um, Operation Market Garden and was killed fighting to get to the infamous uh, Bridge Too Far. Well, they must have had yeah. his name on the back yeah. of... You know, in, uh, we were at Arnhem um, on the yeah. Saturday, yeah. they always have the, the names of people who were killed on you the back of their shirts. You would hope he would... Yeah, yeah he's he must probably, have been. You know, not Gosh, the way so footballers normally have the name on the back of shirts, no. but um, <laughs> much sadder, of course. And, and this is an extraordinary story. The, this is the, there's a guy called Alexandre Villaplan. I probably pronounced it totally wrong, but he captained France at the 1930 World Cup, but became a major collaborator with the Nazis, uh, rising to Untersturmfuhrer in mm. the SS. Join the SS. The SS, yeah. Untersturmfuhrer. And then he was placed in charge of finding French resistance fighters and organised the execution of people in June 1944. But he was executed by a firing squad on Boxing Day that year. So footballers' involvement in the war was quite considerable. Wow. And that so, is an amazing yeah, story, isn't it? Because you just assume that all footballers are going to yeah. fight for the right side and going to yeah. be, uh, he gonna be heroes. For the, for the wrong team, didn't he, in the end? And then Bert Trautmann, of course. Bert Trautmann. Yeah, yeah, a German paratrooper. Yeah. Fought on the Eastern Front all over. Yeah. And then ended up Man City, wasn't he? Breaking his neck in goal for Manchester City in the Cup. Playing on. Yeah, played on. Played on with broken neck. <laughs> men were men. Made them tough then. <laughs> yeah, they certainly I mean, that is something else, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That... Yes, that's something else, isn't it? He he must have been uh, he must have seen everything. And thought, well, it's just a broken net. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Itches a bit. Can't <laughs> <Yeah>. walk it <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Gary, I know you've met Tom Finney. I was lucky yes, enough to I interview did. him interview, a lot yeah. about, his, um, about his wartime career. And he was such a lovely guy. And one thing I really remember about, because I met him at his house in Preston. And uh, I remember going in, there wasn't a single photograph of him from his footballing career mm. anywhere. I mean, I'm sure there was somewhere yeah. in the house, but not, yeah. not on a shelf, not on a... You know, uh, not on the yeah. piano or anything Very like that. Very modest man. Very lovely, modest man. Lovely but he was man. amazing. But he just spent most of the war playing football yeah. in yeah. sort of, you know, exhibition matches. My, but then right at the end, had right. to play. That's had right. To my, other, my other granddad um, from my, f my father's side, um, he was a sergeant major in the war. He never actually went anyway. He just, he just trained everybody. He was smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's a role I would have been keen to, <laughs> yeah. keen to, keen to take. And um, so it's, you know, he actually played some matches during the war for, for the army and stuff because he was, he was quite a good footballer. And, and he always used to say about Tom Finney, he, said, Tom, he always used to tell me Tom Finney was the finest two-footed footballer he'd ever seen. Wow. And he told me that lots and lots of times. It was right. his favourite thing. Right, right, what, what, right. I'm sorry, what does he mean? You've all got two feet. What are you on about? I both. think it means that you, you, you're relatively skillful with both and you can't <laughs> tell the difference between... Right, right, I mean, right. I'm sure if you kick a ball, what yeah, would you kick yeah, it with? with I know you're joking, foot. Al. Yeah, 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 I know yeah, you're yeah. joking. But anyway, <laughs> I, 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 I can only use my right so foot. So how come Finney... Except um, against Germans when I did once use my left foot. Was it when, when we'd run out of people then? <laughs> yeah, so basically they were, yeah. they were running short and they needed. They, they, yeah. they were really kind of scraping a barrel in Italy because they were just running short by early 1945. So he went in... I think he was in 1380 Hazars or something like that. But he was in one of the Hazar... Anyway, he was in a tank. Right. Um, and he was in the final battles of kind of, sort of March, April 1945. Incredible. And he absolutely did his bit and he was, you know, in yeah. danger and, you know, and, and saw all yeah. sorts of terrible things uh, and absolutely manned yeah. up. A lot of footballers insisted on going. Yeah. Insisted on going. Yeah. I mean, so well, it's the same with cricketers. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure. And all sportsmen. Because one, one of the reasons why Keith Miller, the great Aussie all-rounder, never really got on with Don Bradman was because Don Bradman had a bad back for literally the whole war. And didn't um, And then literally oh, really? the moment the war was over, it's like, do you know what, I think it's a bit better now. Yeah. Um, and it was all right, and, and he all just felt he skived yeah. off. And, having and there was this great Having heard that now, I'm really glad he didn't get the average of 100. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause he, didn't he always average in 99.9 something? But Keith yeah. Miller was playing in the, you know, he was in the RAF and flew mosquitoes. Um, and, you know, it was in action and... It was, uh, was on a low-level raid in late April, early May 1945. And guy directly in front of him got blown up, or directly behind him, but, you know, right, you know, right in the firing line. And it's very interesting, when he, when he um, was asked to sit for his portrait for the MCC, he, he wore his Air Force tie. And that summer of 1945, they had all the victory tests where they had these kind of sort of makeshift Aussie team against a makeshift England team, whoever's around and whoever's back from POW camp. Um, and uh, at the last one, they said, so Mr. Miller, you know, you know, how are you coping with the pressure of the next test? And he goes, pressure. I'll tell you what pressure is. Pressure is having a message made up your ass, not playing cricket. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably got a point. Yeah, he has got a point. <laughs> he has got a point. But, you know, cricketers were killed too. There was yeah. Ross Gregor, who's amazing. Yeah. Aussie batsman. There was Ken Farns, British bowler. And Hedley Verity, who's one of my great heroes, was killed in Sicily. Yeah. Along with the... Yeah, he was. Yeah, great cricket. Who was that guy you just mentioned? Of the... the um, guy was killed he was a Dunkirk died at Sicily that would be Harry Gosling who also apparently um, stood on the centre circle of one game yeah and um, actually encouraged people to sign up for the war wow yeah that's amazing I had a great time going out in Sicily and finding the spot where Hedley Verity received his mortal wound he didn't die for a couple of weeks but he was left for left for dead on the on the battlefield and picked up by the Germans and taken over to mainland yeah. and died basically of sepsis but yeah. um, it was um it was amazingly moving to go to the spot, almost to the spot, yeah. where 
where it all happened to that's kind of work it all that's out. That's exactly what I found when I followed my granddad's footsteps. There was there was one time, and the what the, the time I actually got quite emotional. Yeah, I was stood on on the bridge of the river where they were trying to cross, and um, and it was pointed out to me that my, from from the notes you could tell that my granddad was actually in a the tent that they the ambulance you know field ambulance bit was literally a hundred yards from where I was mm -hmm. and, then, and that kind of got me a little bit and I felt incredibly proud. I'm stood on the bridge and then they've given me this um, this few lines from a, that a doctor wrote that is part of the program. I started reading it and it was so beautifully written and at one point he said and a man falls next to me and he's dead and he's no longer any use to us basically. And it, but it, the way he wrote it was 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 really poetic and beautiful and it just got me um, and then I thought my Christ my, my granddad was part of that and and then I really did myself by suddenly thinking I just wish my mother was still alive to see this program about yeah. her dad you know would have been special our two, our two brothers were alive they've seen it and they I think they were uh, chuffed with it but it was it was very emotive yeah, it is. It just is. Yeah. I mean, but but I mean, all these stories, yeah. all this stuff, and you talking about this in your family, and you know, and I think of my, and you're reminding me of when I went to see where my grandfather was mm. killed, talking about this. Is it? And we talk, we come back to this every now and again on this podcast because we like telling the stories of interest. But it, the war touched everyone. It didn't matter what you were, mm. whether you were a footballer or a cricketer or a stockbroker like my grandfather or or whatever. It, it, yeah. it, you know, it it involved everyone and touched everyone, and and there was no avoiding it. No. Well, just imagine <laughs> Harry Kane or, or Marcus Rashford or Ben Stokes uh, having to, having to do go that, off no. and fight in Italy. I mean, that's yeah. absurd, isn't it's it? It's the thing about war, isn't it? It's it's actually unimaginable. It is that uh, everyone, all, you know, and it's and the thing is as well. I'd be obviously with all all three of us probably way too old now. But my son's here, Harry, is obviously involved with these podcasts and puts them together, and. It's it's that generation. You think they're my kids? Yeah. Then it was the kids that are sent to war, aren't they? Seven, nineteen, twenty, yeah. twenty-two years. I mean, crikey, awful. Yep. Awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think we, if we if Harry went, we'd be fine. Harry'd be all right. He talks a good game, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he really does talk a good game. He was telling me the other day, we know that um, what's that SAS program they do on the TV now, where oh, the yeah, punters go. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, "I'll be all right on that." I'll be fine on that. <laughs> <laughs> did you not? I did. No, I did. <laughs> He's, He's gone been and playing <laughs> Call of Duty, of course. So you know, yeah, he knows all the guns. Yeah. Here in the, and he knows all of them. And you get yeah. one of them wrong. And yeah. I know them all, but for different <laughs> I don't know any reasons. Well, but you're blessed not knowing, Gary. Exactly. exactly. Indeed. Well, thank you so much oh, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's very special. And... Um, uh, um, is that program still on the iPlayer? Can you still I'm, find I'm it? I'm sure it probably is. Probably is. Be out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, 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 somewhere. Yeah. My granddad's war. Brilliant. Gary Lineker, thanks. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheerio. Cheerio.